Hi, this is David Vincent, and I'm the superintendent of schools for the Wiley Independent School District, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amanda Martin. Hi, I am the director of counseling services in the Wiley Way, and welcome to the Achieving Kids podcast. This is a conversation featuring experts and subjects related to raising happy, successful children in today's world. On each broadcast, parent guests will join in and provide their perspective on current trends and issues our kids face in school, society, and at home. Our goal is to provide a better understanding of how the decisions we make help promote the best interests of our kids and community. We will tackle big subjects, entertain different viewpoints, but the focus will always be on equipping you with the strategies that will help them become achieving kids. Our subject for today's podcast is anxiety and stress and the emotional and psychological impact they have on a student and their achievement in school and life. Our goal today is to address the most common issues relating to what creates anxiety and stress and hear expert advice regarding how adults can help kids effectively manage stress and anxiety. That is awesome. And we're going to have a great show today because we are joined by Stacy Smith, PTA president. You've been with us before. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me back. And Tanya Smith, our new mom and actually podcaster, and she is going to help us in so many different ways. Thanks for being here with us today. Amanda, talk about our amazing expert guest. Our expert guest today is Dr. Kelly Jamison. She is a licensed professional counselor specializing in individual therapy for adolescents and adults, as well as family therapy and couples counseling. Um, She maintains a private practice in Dallas, Texas, so she's local if you need to have a therapist. She is trained as a systems therapist, which allows her to help her clients see how one aspect of their life may be affecting a variety of others. In addition to maintaining her private practice, Dr. Jamison collaborates with several organizations in the Dallas area. She serves on the board of directors for the ELISA Project, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the prevention and effective treatment of eating disorders, as well as the local chapter of IAEDP, the International Association of Eating Disorder professionals. She's also on the board of directors at the Grant Halliburton Foundation, an institution seeking to provide mental health education for students, educators, parents, and professionals in order to prevent suicide. And you've got three kids. You, how do you fit anything else in? I don't know. I have a problem with the word no, I guess. Well, that's good because you're here Everybody today. in this room does. I've got my own, I've got my own issues. <laughs> we'll talk about those later. No, we appreciate you being here. And today's focus is going to be on this anxiety and stress. And Amanda talked so highly about you giving a general presentation to some moms and how that's really going to help us to develop, well, that social emotional wellness that kids need today because stress and anxiety is a part of what we do. So let's kick it off. Amanda, let's go. Dr. Jameson, can you just describe what stress and anxiety looks like for kids and the impact that it has on them? Sure. Well, first of all, I think it's important to start with anxiety is the number one diagnosis in the United States for both kids and in adults from a psychological perspective. So it's the number one diagnosis that's happening across our country, um, which is really important. We've got to figure out what we're not teaching kids and what we're not practicing as adults ourselves in terms of anxiety, because it across the board is the number one call coming in to both psychologists, psychiatrists, even schools are calling me saying, we have a major anxiety issue. Can you come and do some teacher training on kids with anxiety? So across the board, it's sort of the number one most prevalent issue that kids and adults are facing. But really what it looks like for kids is any behavior outside of their normal behavior. So some kids withdraw 
and sort of turn inward and some lash out and become irritable and some have big old emotional breakdowns too. We see that more the older they get. So it just kind of depends. It depends on the style of your child and any behavior outside of their normal behavior could be indicative of anxiety. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the hard thing as a parent to know is, you know, to what degree is that anxiety normal? Because certainly we all, you know, have anxiety at times and, you know, what should cause me concern as a parent? You know, what are what are some things that maybe I'm looking for as a parent to see that, okay, maybe that's not normal. Because I know sometimes my kid's gonna get nervous before a test or, you know, before mm-hmm. going into a new classroom and maybe they're not gonna wanna go in. But at what yeah. point, and I'm like, yeah, yes. that should cause me a little bit of concern. Yeah. yeah, so the very first thing you're gonna see with kids are primarily stomach aches, belly aches. Because 95% of your serotonin actually lives in your GI tract. So we think that that's sort of a brain chemical, but actually 95% of that lives in your GI system, which makes sense, right? When you get nervous about something, what do we tell kids? Oh, you've got butterflies in your stomach. (laughs) That's really just those serotonin levels are off. So any school nurse in America can tell you they have got this one figured out because kids will present to the school nurse with a tummy ache. Well, a lot of times that's just anxiety presenting. So if you have a kiddo who's presenting with a lot of tummy aches before school, after school, you're getting calls during the school day with a stomach ache. A lot of times that's really clear that that's an anxiety issue going on. So what's one of the best ways to really tackle that? I don't know that when I hear my child saying, hey, I have a tummy ache, sometimes I'm kind of like, okay, go ahead and pick it up and go to school. (laughs) But but then other times I realize there's something, there's an issue, but I'm not quite sure of the best way to respond. So what are some tips that you might have to react or respond to that? Well, if it's chronic, then that's obviously more anxiety focused. If it's just a one-off, maybe there's a big test or something that day they're trying to avoid. But we're looking for like pattern behavior with the tummy with the tummy ache. So um, the best way to respond. Well, let me tell you how not to respond first. So the best way to not respond is to minimize it and say, oh, there's nothing to worry about or you'll be fine to sort of dismiss their feelings. That's a surefire way for them to to actually up the anxiety and to really cause a wedge between your relationship with your child. Because first and foremost, as parents, you're supposed to love and protect that kid more than anyone else. So if they're trying to message something to you in the best way that they can and you're not getting it, that then they feel sort of hopeless that if my mom or dad is not getting this, no one's getting this. So that can be devastating for them emotionally to realize that they're trying to tell you something and you're saying, you'll be fine, just get through the day, or it's just one, or ignore that person, or don't worry about that. To them, this is a a monumental stressor. And if you minimize it, then that can really send them spiraling, thinking that no one gets it, what's the point? And then they start to spiral down into that hopelessness, which then kind of starts as anxiety, but then can really translate into some depression. So a lot of times too, as parents, we probably want to be tempted to kind of pull them out of whatever is making them so anxious. But I'm going to assume that that's not always the best fix either, because that's probably just a short term fix. But long term, that's not really doing anything. So if you have a child that is really nervous, let's you know say going to school, you know, we've got a new kindergartner or a first grader that just does not want to walk into that that classroom. How do you handle that? How do you handle that as a parent? Because you know that they kind of need to face that fear, but obviously, you know, for them inside, they're you know they're struggling with being able to actually walk yeah. in there and face that. Right. Well, that's hard because parents come from such a place of love. You want to kind of protect your child, but there's a lot of enabling behavior that happens, Um, even though you don't mean to, right? You're just coming from love, but anytime you allow the child to avoid the stressor, 
um, you're just creating a bigger problem. So, and that's what we do in therapy in terms of treatment with kids and adults with anxiety is helping them, you know, there's exposure therapy, helping them to get familiar and comfortable with whatever the stressor or trigger is for them. But parents are notorious for allowing them to just sort of, you know, sidestep whatever it is, whether it be sleepovers or, you know, they drop them off at school so they don't have to hang out, you know, in the common areas before and sort of have to skip some of that anxiety provoking um, situations. So um, my advice for parents would be sort of face it head on, whatever the, the thing is, whatever it is, assuming you know what it is, you know, if it's generalized anxiety, that's a whole other beast that, you know, but I think you're talking about something specific. If you can just help them work through it and not sidestep it, that's half the battle. Separation anxiety is one of those things that we face, just what you're talking about when they are not with mama or daddy and they don't, they come to school, freaks them out a little bit, dealing with stress, dealing with anxiety. You know, dad response is a whole bucket of get over it, you know, and that is the exact wrong and I don't do that. I say that in my mind, but it's important that we give them the grit and that ability to, to cope with things. But what would you say is that similar to, to separation anxiety or how to deal with, with, with kids in that way? Is there any specific advice you'd give for that? Yeah, it's the same. Most anxiety has the same course of treatment as giving them the skills to get through whatever it is. Now, separation anxiety is just another form of anxiety. You know, anxiety is just sort of an umbrella. And then you have all these styles and types of anxiety that live underneath that umbrella. So you have social anxiety, you have panic disorder, you have... Um, Social anxiety, separation, generalized anxiety, OCD is a form of anxiety, and panic disorder. So those are sort of the, the major types of anxiety that live under that umbrella. Separation anxiety is different. We see that in younger kids, which makes it much harder for those parents to be the bad guy and help get them through that because Whoa. the attachment is to you. And that feels horrible to be on both sides of that. Yeah, because you're leaving their kid and you feel like you've just, you know, left them, Abandoned you know, them yeah, yeah. prison like or something. Like their heart out, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's a tough one. And that takes, that's, that's some heavy lifting for a parent. We coach them almost more than the child with separation anxiety than a school anxiety or social anxiety or something like that. So that's, that's tough for parents. So that one requires a little bit more thoughtfulness on the parent's part for that kind of anxiety. Dr. Jameson, you were a former school counselor, is that correct? That's right, yes. Okay, so I know you'll relate to this um, from a school aspect, but our school counselors see kids with all kinds of adverse childhood experiences, and they have the, the stressors at home or something, a trauma that may have happened to them before they ever even came to school, but that affects all their behavior. It affects the way they're relating to other people, um, and not all the time the parents make that connection or even teachers make that connection because, you know, the teacher's role is to educate them in the classroom, the parent's role is to love them at home and those kinds of things. And we know that kids are resilient, but I think we forget how they're still like whole creatures with all these things impacting their behaviors and their emotions. Can you kind of give us your thoughts on that or things to consider or remind us when we have these kids with these struggling behaviors a lot of times due to a, a childhood experience. Right, so every, every child's coming to school with something, right? The whole fact of being human means that everyone is struggling with something. Um, so it's about sort of normalizing that everyone has a thing, you know, a, a lot that they're carrying with them. So, um, but as educators, 
Some teachers really get it. Some teachers really have compassion and empathy and they get the whole child approach. And other teachers are on a mission, right? To get through the curriculum, to, to get through that work for the AP test. And they have them for 45, 60, 80 minutes a day. And they, they're on a mission, right? So it's a tough question because some people get it and some people don't. My thoughts would be to ask school districts, how well are we training our educators for social emotional health? And there's some programs, you know, like the Momentous Institute is doing a really nice job with implementing all the social emotional training for their teachers so that you're aware of those red flags, so that you're aware of that kid who's a frequent flyer to the nurse. So you're aware of that kid who's just a little off today. Um, and it's, it's those teachers who recognize that their job is much more than educating a child, but really caring for those kids in a completely holistic way. So it's just, it's kind of from the top down. How well is that being spoken of? How well is that being modeled? How well is that being measured and monitored and checked in on from an educator standpoint to make sure that those teachers recognize that we're doing much more than teaching math today or every day? Maybe you could speak to parents, too, on, you know, how to talk to their child when something like that happens in the home, when there's a divorce. You know, I, this, this is actually pretty personal for me. Um, a couple of years ago, my niece passed away, and I have two daughters, and my oldest daughter, it affected her greatly, and you could see that effect on her. She wore it on her sleeve. She wore those emotions on her sleeve. She cried. She wanted to be comforted. She wanted to collect any color, any, you know, aspect that reminded her of her cousin. My other daughter was always happy, was always the one that was um, supporting her sister, letting her sister know it's okay, writing her little letters. We thought she was fine. So we didn't ever really talk to her about the experience as much because she seemed okay with it until about four months later when she was diagnosed with functional visual loss. And we found out that actually what was causing that was the anxiety and the stress and the sadness from the loss of her cousin that she just couldn't she can never put out in words. And so, you know, what are some pointers that you have for parents when you go through a hard time like that in your home, in your family, a divorce, um, you know, an illness, death of a loved one? How, what are some ways we can talk to our kids? What are some questions that maybe we should ask them to get them to open up to us and get those feelings out? Yeah, good question. Well, the three big stressors for anyone, kids or adults, are death, divorce, and moving. So those are the three biggies. Um, from a therapist standpoint, I always use the language with kids and families and parents is uh, big T trauma and little T trauma. Um, and all of those traumas require special handling. Um, but if a child or a family experiences death, divorce, or moving, those are to be handled with professional gloves, right? So if, if any child or family has experienced that, do not hesitate to send them for professional help. Your question is about parents. Parents love their kids so much that oftentimes if they if their child or family has experienced a big T trauma like that, you're just not equipped to handle that. You know, that requires professional intervention. Um, so I think, you know, finding a counselor or a therapist that you like is very good, and school counselors are great at referring those things. But your question is, how do you handle that and what to look for? So my answer to that would be, it depends on the personality of the child. Um, and it depends how they respond to stress in general. Um, some children who lose, for example, the death of a parent, um, some children will 
talk and go to therapy weekly and they will process with all of their friends and the and the surviving parent will say you know she's doing great this was the one i was worried about but she seems to be talking about it a lot and then there's another sibling who hasn't cried who's going to school normally and and i tell the the surviving parent this is the one i'm worried about because all emotions have to be processed um, so when they st when they stuff it down or they don't process it it becomes toxic so all emotions and all stress that's not processed is internalized and becomes toxic so then we're getting vision problems or a lot of kids it's a lot of migraines stomach aches um, things like that sleep interruptions um, so it all has to be processed so it depends on the style of the kid what to look for and sometimes you'll be surprised right there's not a clear-cut answer for this because sometimes your most chatty outgoing child will not be the one that in the in process of grief is chatty and outwardly processing so it's hard because then you're also managing your own emotions, right? You, I mean, if you've experienced the loss in your own family, so you have your own emotional cascade to deal with, and then also your child's, I mean, which means professional help is necessary. So any sort of trauma like that, death, divorce, and moving should always require a trip to a counselor or therapist's office. Um, but to answer your question, I think more succinctly, anyone who is not processing those things through music or exercise or spending time with friends or drawing or painting or things like that you know those are the ones you want to worry about because all those big emotions have to be processed somehow we just got to figure out how to get there and pull that out because if it stays inside it becomes toxic and comes out sideways yeah. and well, can I be think really for parents too like professional help is always kind of like a dirty word you know yeah. like they're yeah. they're nervous about taking their kids there's kind of you know a stigma attached to it so I think it's trying yeah. to get parents to understand that that stigma doesn't need to be there that it's you know just because you can't see it on the outside you know doesn't mean that there's not something wrong and it needs to be fixed so yeah. and as a I used to be the school counselor at a private school in Dallas and um, whenever a family sometimes a family would be going through something and I'd call the parent and they would say please do not speak to my child again we are dealing with outside of school we were dealing with this outside of school and then I just knew, okay, this is a family that has a mental health stigma that we're working against. So I think we're doing a little better. The more we can talk about mental health and given the headlines recently, I think we're doing a little better job of talking more about mental health and bringing it out of the shadows so it's not this big scary thing that anyone should be ashamed of. So I feel like we're getting a little better, but we have a long ways to go. So I have a question about some of the day-to-day -day stressors because I know those big Buckets are very much um, an issue for some children. But then there's other kids. Like I have a, a teenager who's in high school, mm -hmm. but then I have an uh-oh that's a little younger <laughs> in elementary school. All right. And so I know that there are day-to-day -day stressors, and each of them handles them differently. I don't know that I feel as equipped anymore mm -hmm. <laughs> because mm -hmm. I'm like, wait, I have to handle you differently than I do the younger yeah, one because point. they just have a different set of challenges that they have at their schools um, and just with their friend crowd and whether they're introverted or extroverted. Are there any tips on how to deal with, especially when you have child, children that span different ages, mm -hmm. how to deal with that as a mom? Right. Well, the answer across the board is how you're modeling your own stress, right? So, <laughs> Wait, oh, great. Let's, let's not talk about oh, me. Let's, uh, let's, this is really good. And, and I we're enjoy done. This. That's a wrap, folks. So that's good. Moms, everybody got uncomfortable. I yeah. Like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, first and foremost, that's the answer to if you have a two-year-old or a twenty-year-old is. 
they're always watching. And because they value more than anyone else on the planet, what you do is at the top of the list for how to do things, right? So you gotta make sure how you're modeling that behavior is in a good, healthy way. Um, because let me tell you, I work with parents and kids and the apple does not fall far from the tree. So I can work with a kid and then I meet the mom or the dad and I'm like, okay, very clear. Clear as crystal. I know exactly what's <laughs> happening here. Everybody come in now. Yes. We need all yes. Yes. So it's about modeling within your house and how well you're taking care of yourself. And um, so first and foremost, that's the answer to that question as, as much as maybe we don't want to think about that. Um, but it sounds like you're getting both ends of the parenting playbook at this point. Well, you get the social media because the younger one's restricted, so she doesn't get that yet. Mm -hmm. Good. Like but that. the older one, of course, does. She has that. She has the competitiveness of being in team sports mm -hmm. and being an all-A student most of the time and all of those other different things that are stressors for her, whereas the younger one just has a different set of, you know, so-and-so stole my, mm -hmm. <laughs> my backpack today yeah, or she right. took my whatever yes, it is. So it just seems like there's different... Um, yeah. stressors for each of them. And I want to make sure I'm modeling proper, properly. Yes, but right. And, you know, another important point is <laughs> sending the right parent into the right kid. Uh, you know, even though I do this for a living, you know, I've got three kids, 10, 8, and 5, boy, girl, boy. And oftentimes my 10-year-old boy, I'm not the best person to talk to him about his stressors, which is, you know, unnerving to me on on some levels because I like to think I'm a professional at this but I've watched my husband work some magic with him and I know that okay maybe he's better for miles than I am you know so a lot That's of this is point. knowing what your strengths are which parent can go in there and say the right things even if you do this for a living right it may not be you um, so it's kind of knowing who the best person is to send them in and be able to talk through your teenager about, all right, well, what do you have too much on your plate this week? How can we help? Right? Because teenagers will tell me in regards to this problem, they don't want to tell their parents how overwhelmed they are because the, the first and initial parent response is always, well, what can we take off your plate? Well, they love everything that they do. They love lacrosse and they love scouts and they love their club teams. Like they don't want to take anything off their plate, but the, uh, immediate parent response is, well, let's just take something off the list. And they don't want to do that. So therefore they will withhold that stress from you for fear that you're gonna take something away from them. So a better approach with those older kids is how can I help? How can I help? Let's look at your calendar for this weekend. What do we need to do? How can I help? Rather than, well, you don't need to do that this week or you can skip that practice or you, you know, do you really need to do X? So um, it's just sort of maybe asking the right questions and sending the right parent in for that convo. And we talked a lot about anxiety. And then um, another thing that we're seeing is kind of how either that morphs into depression or they are made, maybe have depression. And so you mentioned um, in your talk that you handle those two things a little bit differently in your office when you talk to parents about anxiety versus depression. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, they often hold hands. You know, um, a lot of anxious people will slip into depression. A lot of people who have depression will also exhibit signs of anxiety. It's just the way that those two things function in the brain. Um, for me, it's important to look at the child and when these symptoms started to present. So generally, you're going to see a lot of early presentation 
once puberty starts. So between ages sort of 12 and 25, when that brain development is really on overdrive, that's when you're gonna see a lot of these problems present which is tricky because you don't know if this is normal adolescent behavior or the early presentation of a mental health disorder. So it's important, so if you're not sure where that line is, that's important to, to have your child seen professionally because a, a, a professional will be able to say, yes, this is normal adolescent behavior or this looks like anxiety or depression. And then of course we ask about family history because if there's anxiety or depression or any other mental health issue on either side of the DNA, um, there's a good chance that that child is going to receive some of that. And the timing is important because if it presents in puberty, well, that could be just normal developmental mood swings based on the brain changes and the mood regulating chemicals are off. But if they present with it before puberty, that's more likely in their genetics and they were going to have some version of this anyway. It just presented before puberty. But if it presents after puberty, then that could be just a temporary situation that maybe just needs treatment or medication up until their brain stops growing and insulating around age 25, 26. So when I sit with a parent or a teenager and they say, well, Will, we have to take this medicine forever. I'll say, well, we won't know until their brain is finished. Um, but depression and anxiety are very treatable. You know, that's the blessing here. They're very treatable. We have good treatment, we have good medication. Anxiety is a little bit easier to work with without medication. A lot of parents with little ones who are presenting with anxiety, there's lots of coping skills and lots of things we can do um, from a treatment model. Um, but depression, you know, I don't really mess around with depression. That has much more higher risks. So I'm a little bit stronger in my treatment with that. And with parents, I'm a little bit more firm and um, belief with medication because depression is really not anything you wanna mess around with. Given teenagers or kids who don't have a fully insulated prefrontal cortex, so that impulsivity combined with depression is where you get some really risky, scary behaviors in yes. teens. So I'm pretty firm with parents. If I get a parent who has a child presenting with depression and they're sort of hem-hawing about medication, I just shoot them straight and I say, listen, the risk here is much greater than anything you're worried about this medication, you know, quote unquote, changing your child. You know, you want to make sure you have a child that you can treat. So I'm a little right. bit more of a straight shooter in regards to depression. Anxiety, we've got much more options. Just a reminder that our subject for today's podcast is anxiety and stress and the emotional and psychological impact they have on our students and their achievement. Our guest today is Dr. Kelly Jamison, and she has given us a lot of good expert tips on how to help our kids achieve both in school and in life. Something that we see in our school counseling offices a lot is friends trying to deal with their friends' issues instead of like telling an adult or referring that out. Um, I, I think it's a lot of kind of what you said. They don't want to tell the grown-up to add any stress to that. They don't want to take them out of anything, but they're not trained. Teenagers are not trained professionals in mental health, really, but um, they kind of sometimes act as the therapist to their friends. Do you know how we could, I don't know, maybe help educate the, the kids to go ahead and tell someone, um, even if it may hurt their friendship possibly, but we really do need kids to speak out if there's something going on with their friend that could be 
lifelong consequences. Yeah, right. Well, friends are always on the front lines of all of these problems, and teenagers specifically are very good secret keepers. Yes. (laughs) So what's happening there developmentally is a teenager is differentiating from their family of origin, meaning they're stepping out from their family unit and they're starting to create those really close bonds with their friends. So they step out of the nest and they look side to side and there's other teenagers who have stepped out (laughs) as well. So they link arms almost immediately, which is why it's so important that adolescents sort of find their tribe because they're doing this big important thing of stepping out of the nest. So they look side to side with their friends. Because they're doing this developmentally together, they become fiercely loyal to each other. So when there is a problem, they're going to talk to their friends first. Number one, they believe their friends understand more because they're also going through all of these hardships. But like you said, their friends are not equipped for some of these big, big secrets. So I always tell kids when I present to them, you know, I admire and respect your friendships and your loyalty with your friendships. But when, when someone has said, let's use self-harm for example, you know, I've tried cutting or I'm cutting or a friend knows that the other one's cutting and then they have a conversation about it. Ten times out of ten, they'll say, please don't say anything. Please don't tell anyone. Well, now all you've done is just spread the stress. So now it's just not one child carrying all of this. You've asked your best friend, hey, share my stress. A good friend wouldn't do that, right? And then likewise, the friend who now has this new information should be able to say, I'm worried about you. I don't know how to deal with this. We need to tell someone. Now, in a perfect world, that's how it would (laughs) unfold, but it doesn't necessarily unfold. So what happens is the friend, and as a school counselor, this is how this usually unfolded. The friend will come to my office and say, I'm really worried about so-and-so. Please do not tell her I am here, but I am worried about her, and I think something needs to happen. And then that's where a school counselor will talk to the child and then call the parents usually. But um, I always tell parents, if their best friend is coming to you worried about your child, you should take that so seriously. Because what they've done is they've laid down their friend card to the point that they are so worried about your child that they are risking that friendship because they are that much in fear of your child. So if that ever happens, you have got to take action immediately because that is such a big move to lay down your best friend card and tell a parent about something that they've sworn you to secrecy. So that's a big red flag for big problems. Well, I know as, you know, as parents, we certainly, and I'm sure this will be a topic of all these podcasts, is one of the big questions is how do we get our kids to come and talk to us about that? And I'm sure a lot of that has to do, you know, with our reaction. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with actually listening to our kids, taking the time to actually listen to them, not minimalize, you know, the anxieties and the worries and the stresses that they have and ask them questions, you know, but what's some advice that maybe you have for us as parents that we can get our kids to open up to us? Because even if they go to a friend first, great, but I'd like at some point for my kids to, to feel like they can come and talk to me about things that they're stressed and worried about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the million dollar question, right? Vincent <laughs> <laughs> said he'd pay you a million dollars if you answered it. That's an easy, so. easy answer. If that's, that's yeah, easy. We could just something we can at least start working on though, yeah. you know? Yes. Well, I'm going to go back. Well, I have two answers. Number one, I'm going to go back to modeling, right? So if your child hears you on the phone talking about other parents, you know, if you're modeling drama or gossip, you're not a safe parent. Right. So they're hearing all those conversations. Wow. That's, a, good point. That's a really good point. Wow. You got to be a safe person if your kid is going to come talk to you about 
big problems. But if they're watching or if they're in the car listening to you, you know, you become an unsafe adult. And that's that's number one. Yeah, they're worried you're going to go tell those secrets to other people. So. That's right. Yeah. But a couple of other sort of more casual tips are, um, you know, and it, it's different for boys and girls. And it's different for teenagers, too. For example, teenage boys. Um, yeah, I have the, one. The rule, the rule of thumb <laughs> here is... Um, you know, you're really probably not going to get any important information I out of them <laughs> before <laughs> 10, eat. 10 p.m. <laughs> yes, and I'm, I'm getting to the food, yes. 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Yeah. is sort of the standard. If you want to talk to a teenage boy about his day, don't even go in there before 10 p.m. The research says that boys, it takes them that long to sort of shed their armor from the day. So I gotta so stay up later. You apparently. gotta stay up later. Yes, drink Turn some the lights coffee. on. I've got some questions. Yes. <laughs> so you want to go in with a boy, or after 10 p.m. is is the most sort of open they're going to be, and really it's because it takes boys primarily so many hours to shed that armor that they're walking around the school day, because boys feel that they have to walk around and make school look effortless. Right, that takes a lot of stress from them. So they get home and that takes them some time. So after 10 is a good rule of thumb for boys. For boys also, especially if you have an older boy and you guys were joking about food, but really the truth of the matter is, take them out to lunch. Yeah, no, that really is the only time he'll talk to yes. me. <laughs> because in a boy's mind, number one, they're being fed. And number two, if it's a quick lunch, it's probably about an hour. So there's a discreet beginning and a discreet ending. So this conversation is not gonna go on forever and ever and ever and ever. So that's your best bet. And then also with boys riding in cars because they don't have to look at you. You can sort of ask some soft questions and see what you get. So for boys, it's after 10 p.m., taking them out to Ooh, lunch on the car. weekends. If I combine and the, the three, this is gold. it'll be an incredible yes. trifecta. Yes. If we're gonna go to Bush's Chicken, take a buck at 10.30 at night, Cal, enjoy yourself. <laughs> Let me know if you wanna talk about anything. Another biscuit? Let's talk about this. <laughs> Another biscuit. <laughs> no, that's great that. advice though, I like that. Yeah, that's, it's, not, it's not so easy with girls. Okay. Yeah. So there we go, is, come on. Yeah, I yeah. was waiting for that. It's, yeah, you knew I was gonna I say that, right? Gonna say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so with girls, it's not so, you know, cut and dry. There's not a good recipe for girls. With girls, it depends more about their personality, their level of openness with you anyway, their sense of self, their self-confidence. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it with girls. Most moms will say that they don't have a problem. The girls will shut them down, you know, quicker. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't wanna talk about that. Why are you asking me that? I'm busy, I have this to do. So girls are a little bit more snippy in their response, um, which, which is an indicator that yes, they have something that they need to talk about, but they don't want to talk about it now. Whereas a boy, you got to sort of dig a little bit where a girl will give you some information with her snippiness. Um, with girls, they're going to talk more at the end of the school day. So boys, you're waiting later in the night. Girls want to come home and verbally process. And I'm, this is, I'm not stereotyping girls. I'm talking about most girls, the norm, standard bell curve, you know, the girls in the middle. You're gonna have those outliers on either mm -hmm. end with yes. all of these kiddos, but I'm speaking in very general terms. Girls are gonna wanna process in the car on the way home, right? If they're not already, they jump in the car. What about this and oh, and then this happened, da, da, da. So you wanna speak with girls soon after the end of the day. And they're gonna, they're gonna sort of come down from their cortisol levels as their home. So you're more likely to get girls, you know, between kind of four and six for those open periods and later for boys. 
but the style is going to be different with girls. They don't need to be fed necessarily. Um, you might sort of have to cut off a girl like, okay, I got to go. Like I got to go make dinner. Can we talk about this later? So it's just, it's different styles. So girls are a little bit more complicated, but I guess the best piece of advice is you're going to get more out of them right after school in those first couple hours. Cause they're more charged up from the day where boys need to sort of shed some of that. What would you think would be the most important thing for us to leave with? What, is there any advice you could give us other than what we've asked that would help our kids to achieve and, and be socially and emotionally balanced? And, and do Yeah, sure. Um, off the top of my head, I think we are drastically underestimating the value of sleep for our kids. I think they're not sleeping enough. The American Academy of Pediatrics says that kids should be sleeping about nine hours and 15 minutes a night wow. for optimal functioning the next day. And I mean, don't even get me started about teenagers. They're sleeping, you know, four or five hours, six hours a night. It's true. And I mean, and the thing is, you look at what our, our kids do at high school and it's up till midnight and then back again at six o'clock. They're at the game until nine and then they study until That's midnight right. and then they get they're some sleep for a few exhausted. hours. Yes. Yeah. They're exhausted. So of course they're not going to function the next day. And if, if you've got days or weeks of them with poor sleeping or poor sleep hygiene, you, you just have a zombie walking around. Mm -hmm. So I think we're underestimating the value of sleep. And parents will say, well, what do I do? They have to study. They're not getting home from the game till nine. Then they've got a few hours of homework. Well, then that's a that's a parent. And this is a this is a tough call. People aren't going to like this. But that's the parent that needs to say to a teacher or to a school. My child is not getting enough sleep. You know, she has to go to bed at midnight. If she has still hasn't looked at her science yet, I'm telling her to go to bed. So that's that hard part of parenting where you're, you're having to make some tough calls. Well, the schools say, well, maybe she doesn't need to play soccer. Maybe she doesn't need to be at the game. So that's, that's going to be a family decision. But to answer your question about anxiety in general, I think kids are not sleeping enough. And parents aren't sleeping enough. Again, we're not prioritizing sleep in families today because we're just all doing too much. So it's about sleep and it's about balance. You know, there's a lot of things teenagers are doing that they don't necessarily need to be doing, right? So that's a tough question is, why are you, why are you doing tech for the spring show? Yeah. Like, why are you doing that if you're also doing SAT prep, ACT prep, you nanny this family on the weekends and you're in four APs? Like, why are we doing that? You know, so that's a tough question. But like I said, kids don't want to pull things away. But as we're helping them schedule for next year and as we're thinking about what the next year looks like or what the summer looks like, it's those preemptive questions rather than wait till they're in the middle of their semester and oh, say, yeah. well, tell your theater teacher you're not coming today. That doesn't really work. So the more you can do on the front end of sort of not allowing them to load that semester is better than waiting until they're knee deep in crisis and stress and, you know, emotional breakdowns and start of pulling things. So as parents and schools, I think we can do a better job of when we're scheduling them for the next semester, which I know is done way in advance. You can have some of those important conversations about, all right, what, tell me everything you're doing in the semester, mm -hmm. not just, all right, let's look at your APs. So sleep and scheduling, I think, would be my short answer. Those are great bits of advice. We just turn in our cards with what our kids are going to take next year for school. We're all in that spot, and we're deciding what we're going to do for the next year. And that balance and that conversation that Christy, my wife, has had with the kids and that conversation of what is too much, it was great going through a freshman and a sophomore year to realize, hey, here's where we are. And we're making wiser decisions, but sleep and balance is huge. Our subject today has been 
adolescent anxiety, how to deal with stress, and really get our kids on the other side of that where they're going to be happy, um, happy, really well-adjusted, achieving kids that feel like what they've done is both challenging but also really meaningful, and they're glad doing it because that's a really hard balance. And Dr. Jamison, you've been fantastic. Yeah, what has been your, it's been awesome. Thanks, this has been fantastic. <laughs> and the thing that we're going to do is we're going to put your information on this podcast so that people, if they wanted to schedule time, you know, uh, for, for a visit with you, we, uh, moms, dads, we encourage you to do that because getting the help that your kid needs is vital for their emotional success. And we want to make sure that if you need that help, that you have those associations available. If you need to talk to your school counselor, talk to your school counselor. If you need to talk to a principal, one thing that we do in Wiley is we ask that every kid have at least one positive relationship with an adult on campus. And we actually measure that three times a year. Awesome. And so that kid needs to talk to that person if they're not talking to you. And so moms, dads, make sure that you talk to your children about that one teacher that they believe in, that they feel like they can trust and they can go to when times get tough, because that's the Wiley way. So thank you for being here. Thanks, moms. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. Have a great day. <laughs>